This is the Comstock Report Podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top source for the agriculture markets. And now, here's your host, David Cruz. This is Matthew Cruz with the Comstock Report. Relentless buying continued overnight. We had to call up some very long-term charts to find the next target. And all that's left are the all-time highs of 843 for corn and 1738 for soybeans set during the horrendous drought of 2012. We're not necessarily saying that's where prices are going. Just the historical fact that those are the only targets left and that it took a record-breaking drought to do it. Wheat soared double-digit gains again overnight as well. Historically, there are two types of bull markets, supply-driven, usually due to drought, or demand-driven, tied to relentless demand in the face of high prices. You rarely have both. We do this year. There are also two phases of weather-driven markets. The initial phase is termed the weather scare, where price gains revolve around the what-if questions. What if we have bad growing season weather with stocks so tight? Or what if these current adverse conditions persist? Then you have the full-blown weather market where it's no longer a matter of if yield losses occur, but how bad will they be. We're still in the weather scare phase for U.S. corn and soybeans because those crops are just now being planted, and we don't know for sure what kind of growing season we'll have, but we're definitely in a full-blown weather market phase for Brazilian corn and U.S. winter wheat due to worsening drought in Brazil and near-certain freeze damage to winter wheat in the southern plains. Prices soared yesterday and again overnight on stunning export shipments and a forecast for Brazilian corn country that's escalated from excessive dryness to intensifying heat and what some are calling a flash drought. Weekly corn shipments totaled a stunning 1.95 million metric tons, blowing the lid off pre-report trade estimates ranging from 1.1 to 1.7 million. Exports shipped year-to-date are already 84% ahead of last year, versus USDA's current forecast that exports will be up just over 50% from last year. Corn planting came in at 17%, still a bit shy of the five-year average of 20%, and last year's rapid pace at 24%. Looking at the state-by-state breakout, two that stand out for slow planting are Nebraska at just 6%, versus five-year average of 15%, and Missouri with just 20%, planted versus five-year average of 44%. Deviations among the other states percentage-wise are in single digits. As for corn emerge, just 3% is up, on par with last year, just a tad behind the five-year average of 4%. Looking at Texas, that state is not only 66% planted, but 54% has emerged, and that's significant because of last week's back-to-back overnight freezes. They included Texas corn country, and some may have to be replanted. On the soybeans, weekly export inspections paled in comparison to corn, but were still respectable at just under 234,000 metric tons, right in the middle of pre-report guesstimates ranging from 150,000 to 300,000 metric tons. But soybeans popped higher anyway on the coattails of corn, and the reality that year-to-date shipments are already nearly 66% ahead of last year, with USDA's current 2020-2021 export forecast just 36% higher. The weekly crop progress report released after close showed soybean planting at 8%, up a point from last year and three points up from the five-year average at 5%. There are a couple of standouts for early planting in the state-by-state breakout. Illinois is 18% planted versus the five-year average at just 6%. 
Kentucky is at 14% versus a five-year average of just 5%. At 14% planted, North Carolina is nearly five times ahead of its five-year average of just 3%. Louisiana stands out as a laggard with only 15% planted, less than half the state's five-year average at 33%. In other news, during a call with reporters last Thursday, Ag Secretary Vilsack took on critics of the administration's 30 by 30 project to get 30% of U.S. farmland in some degree of conservation for climate change purposes that some have described as a land grab by the administration. Vilsack admitted the goal is to utilize public and private working lands committed to conservation, but accused media and farm groups characterizing it as a land grab way over the top. Vilsack says the USDA will use this feedback to structure a plan that aims to conserve at least 30% of U.S. land and waters by 2030. Regarding the land grab issue, we think Vilsack himself may have been overly defensive. Farmers are concerned about plans to raise incentives for the CRP program that might once again put CRP in competition for rental ground. In 2018, CRP payments were limited to 85% of county average rental rates for new contracts and 90% of county average rates for land in continuous CRP. You are listening to... For a more complete version of the Comstock Report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations, subscribe on our website at Comstock.com or reach out to one of our risk management specialists about how we can help you protect your profits.